Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt. I'm your host. I created this podcast to talk to progressive CEOs, strategic HR leaders, and forward-thinking experts who are passionate about leadership development and creating positive work cultures. I am very eager to talk with today's guest. I am going to be speaking with Jennifer Gillivan. Jennifer is the president and CEO of, I, of the IWK Foundation. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you this morning. So Jennifer, let's start off by tell me a little bit more around what you do at IWK Foundation. Sure. So the IWK Foundation is a private foundation that's been set up for the Isaac Walton Killam, which is the IWK piece, Children's Hospital, and it's also a women's hospital. And it's a regional tertiary care, academic, and uh, research institution in the East Coast of Canada. So it basically serves uh, the population of children, women, and families in the Maritimes. And we're also seeing some more critical cases coming in from Newfoundland. Um, so our role as a private foundation is to raise millions of dollars every year uh, to help create uh, winning conditions to make it better for women and children at the hospital and with the programs in the region. We're also co-owners of a national organization called Ch Canada's Children's Hospital Foundations. There's only 13 pediatric hospital foundations in Canada, so that covers from Newfoundland all the way across to BC. And I'm the uh, vice chair of that board. And uh, that's where we work on national opportunities and deliver them locally or take something local that we feel is really working and deliver it across the country. So it's a very um, interesting and exciting time. I'm personally passionate about the plight of women. Uh, I'm a strong feminist um, and, and, the, and children in our society. So this work is very aligned to what I, I believe in. I'm not a career fundraiser, um, but uh, running a nonprofit is not for the faint at heart. It's a, <laughs> it's a very interesting role, um, and I apply as much as I can my business acumen, as much as the nonprofit acumen, to the work we do. But at the core, our why is to get up every day and uh, try and work with people to create the best possible uh, opportunities for health for women and children. Wow. Um, so many places I want to go uh, uh, with you, Jennifer. And, and I think I'm going to start off right away. I mean, we have Women's Day coming up. And so I, I, I can't not go into this conversation as a feminist as well. Um, so tell me a little bit around, you know, when we start to look at the year 2020, um, I think strides have been made and I'm, I'm happy to see that. I, I definitely think we have potential and um, areas for improvement as well. Um, what are the things that I kind of would love to hear both sides from you. What are you happy, for, happy about from a feminist perspective in terms of the progress? What would you like to see more of? I actually don't think we've made enough strides for 2020. And I actually don't think we need areas of improvement. I actually think we need a revolution. Yeah. And I don't think it's just for women. Uh, if you look at the imbalance in the world right now, if you look at, you know, you, someone like Christine Lagarde who came out from the IMF and said, the two biggest uh, crises facing the world, one is climate change, but it can't be fixed without the other, which is inequity, you know, not an equal balance. Um, I believe the, some of the answers to the world's issues are to actually create that balance. And so I'm on a mission because health of women is just one piece. If you don't have all the other parts of a women's life, 
it all kind of interplays with each other. Um, you know, anyone who's listening to this podcast, because I recommend it everywhere I go, you need to read the book Invisible Women, if you haven't already read it by Caroline Credo Perez. It's, um, it's all about the data around uh, why women are not, where women are not being considered, what, why we're not pushing through some of those glass ceilings. But when you sit here today as a woman and you look at the corporations across this country, you look at governments, you look at every level of leadership, we're not enough, there's not enough of us. And all I'm seeing is amazing leaders and fantastic, talented women. And it's not that we're going to take away a slice of the pie. We're going to build a bigger pie. And men are going to actually be happier. And I think the evolved males get that and understand that. So we need to find a path forward to work with men to build a different kind of way of working, a different set of systems and processes to get there. So I'm kind of, I'm 58 and I'm not waiting around 200 years for equality. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. So I'm really passionate about mobilizing women um, and, and, and older women staying in the arena. I keep saying to them, don't retire, reinvent, but mm. stay in that arena for those younger women coming up and men who are going to need us and need our wisdom. So I, I, you know, yes, we've made some strides. Certainly we can vote and things like that, but not nearly enough. And when you look at some of the things that's happening in politics around the world where they're trying to take away rights from women right now, we've got to mobilize. There's no question in my mind. And I do believe it will help all, not just women. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for taking that stand. Cause I think it's an important stand to take. And I also love what you said. Uh, the path forward is men and women working together and men as allies and men understanding what that looks like. Um, sometimes what I find is there'll be some really great conversations with all women and which is wonderful, but I want to have more conversations with men and women together so we can talk about what this path looks like because I, I've had some wonderful evolved and I, I like the way you describe that. Um, evolved men who have asked me, you know, what can I do? What does my role look like? Instead of them making assumptions around what that looks like, they ask what that looks like. And we've, I've talked a lot around sponsorship and um, it's one thing to, to be mentoring. It's another thing to also be the one that's say, um, sitting in those meetings and advocating and, and being a voice. So um, yeah. I love what you're saying there. And uh, I think we could quite honestly have a whole um, podcast conversation on just this, this topic. And maybe we will. Maybe, <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe we'll be back and doing just on that. Um, but uh, having said that, I think this is very connected because, uh, you know, one of the things that the name of this podcast is inspirational leadership. And to me, inspirational leadership is um, men and women showing up like this from a place of, of equity and inequality. So when you hear inspirational leadership, what does that mean to you, Jennifer? Uh, it means I think the world is longing for the genuine. And I think it's genuine leadership, authentic leadership. Um, people who you instantly know it's the real person, that, the per that, that they're... They're not just saying the right things to inspire, they're doing the right things to inspire. Um, and that they care. Like I've thought a lot about recently, I've been thinking about, you know, average people come to work averaging about eight to 10 hours a day, give or take. Um, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time out of their life. 
And I think the world's, we've got, to, we've got to go from what is it can you do for me and the company for those eight or 10 hours to the whole person. Because if they're happier at home, if they're more balanced, if their mental health is in good order, all those checks are in there, they're gonna do better in work too. And I feel like leadership is so tough. It's such a hard place to be some days. And then it's such an amazing place. But ultimately what it really is, is a privilege. And yes, we all work hard to get to these fancy titles, but really we're responsible for all those people coming in eight to 10 hours a day. Uh, and what does that look like in the 21st century? Because um, it's gonna be different than the era of what we were brought up in or our parents were brought in where you know you went in, you did your bit, you were loyal, you were lucky to have the job and you left again, that day's gone. Yeah. And so when I look at inspiring leaders, it's the people who are really listening to their people, they're serving, they're listening, they're leading from behind, sometimes they're leading out front, they're inspiring by what they do and who they are and how they show up as much as what they say. Yes, yes, I. this is a common theme for all of my guests where we say, Actions speak louder than words. You can't pretend to be genuine. You can't pretend to be authentic. People feel that a mile away and it's an energy you bring to it. And, um, and you also are speaking my language too, because I say it's a, it is, it's, it's a responsibility and it's a privilege. And I think it's um, recognizing it is, it is a lot of work and there are, there are hard moments. Um, but there are so many beautiful moments that come from uh, when you as a leader look for those ways to be able to grow and I always say the best leaders are creating more leaders That's right. You if you're not looking for stronger people around you and people who want to descend in a respectful way and Call your bull every single human being needs to have their bull call. We all have it yeah. And if you don't if you're not if you're afraid of that, then you're just basically managing a process that you want for the way you want to be uh, spoken to and the way you want things to be as opposed to listening and listening for that outlier and it's usually the individual that's not part of what the solution you're looking for they're coming in from a different department or a different level in the company or organization they're the people that you have to be ready to listen to yes. listening for that canary in the mind what's where's the trends going um, so you may have decided as a leader you're going one way but having the ability to be vulnerable enough to say, I was wrong because I've now listened and I think we need to do X, whatever that is. So, yeah. Yes. yes. And to me, that's part of the getting out of the ego, right? And recognizing it's for, to serve the greater good is when we start to hear other people that are in the trenches. Um, they have so much to share. Um, that brings to me, for, uh, for me right now in this moment, Jennifer, you know, you as a leader, as a CEO, I'm sure there has been a lot of learning, uh, learnings and lessons on the way. Uh, and I think it's so important, you know, we're talking vulnerability here, we're talking courage. Uh, we learn through those, right? Our failures are where the best, the, the, the best, the meat is there, right? The best learning. So what have been some of the lessons that you've learned along your journey that have been really powerful as a leader? Um, yeah, so I think, um, <laughs> I, I do know for sure anyone in a leadership role today, it will not be the, the thing you've planned for the emerging risk you've ran through your risk committee or you know, you've had your staff get trained for. It will always be something that you didn't see coming and I, I, your own personal inner compass, North Star values, if 
you haven't done the inner work on yourself, eventually whatever's coming to challenge you, that's going to be your operating system. And that's when you see organizations get in trouble. That's when you see things go awry. And sometimes you're going to have to make a decision or come to a solution or act in a way that's not popular because doing the right thing is sometimes one of the toughest things you can do. And everyone wants you to do the obvious thing, which is doing it right, but it's not actually the right thing. A couple of incidents that I can talk about, I remember a few years back, um, we were belong to a bigger network in North America and um, we ended up, the opportunity was, was not a good, we didn't feel it was the right deal and it had the right values because a lot of our work and what we do is very values driven. Um, and we were the only organization in North America. So of 170 organizations, 169 sort of, some signed but didn't really want to, we refused to. And we actually cracked open a whole organization and it turned into an opportunity which down the road ended up, we ended up creating Canada's Children's Hospital Foundations, which is the big national organization I spoke about at the beginning. And we were one of the instigators to help do that. Um, the leader on the other side was a very humble individual who basically went back and said, I was wrong. This, you know, and very few people are willing to do that. And God rest his soul, that man just died in a tragic accident a few weeks ago. Um, and I'll never forget him because we both actually sat down with a whole bunch of leaders and walked through the whole process and how we got to where we got to. But really what it came down to was we understood our values, what was for sale and what wasn't, and where our line was. And then we ended up being open still conversation we were humble enough to say we you know just because that's our stand doesn't mean we're not going to still listen to you we're not going to still be open to where you're coming from it ended up in an amazing opportunity that wouldn't have been there had we not have known to do that um, you will get issues with staff it's a very complex world you're dealing with post-truth yeah. there's so much misinformation in the in the media um, you're, you're trying to navigate what's real, what's not real. You have multi-generational uh, workers. You have people who are staying older into the workforce with a total different set of values to the 20 year olds. And it's trying to navigate and be there for them in a way that matters to them. And it can be, it can be really challenging and really, really difficult. Issues management um, and that whole world for an organization as my husband who's an executive coach often says to me it takes a lifetime to build up a reputation and a minute to lose it and it's that minute is where a leader has to come down with themselves and their inner value system and their navigating system because sometimes you can be defending your organization or doing something or whatever your whatever situation you're in and it, 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 in some ways, it's, it's about how you do it and the right thing you do, which may or may not be the popular thing. Yeah. Um, I've never been challenged more than I have been in this role, yeah. uh, but I've also never had more satisfaction than this role. So have I grown as a person? Yeah, very much so. There are days where I, it was character building and I was like, can <laughs> I get off this wheel for a while? Um, but you know, even today, I walked into today and I mean... You know, I was talking to my brother in Ireland and he was saying, 
he's just recuperating from a big uh, surgery and he's dying to get back into the office, like to see civilization as he calls it. They're already talking about most people are going to be working from home because they're actually making plans around this virus that's going around the world right now. Yes. And so in my head, I was like, that's your canary in the mine. So I actually came in this morning and said, guys, we better have plan B, C, and D. There's nothing here yet in Halifax, but you, you don't know. So you have to say, how is, you've got to go to worst case scenario and work backwards and know at least you've got some mechanism and plans in place. So as a leader, you're always constantly week over week. You don't know what's coming at you. Yes. And I, I, I do believe at the end of the day where I've seen either companies or countries for that matter go askew is when the value system, the North Star, the very guiding system isn't in play. You yes. haven't spent the time on it. That's you're absolutely right. I can't tell how many, I tell, I tell you how many times where you notice if the person to were to go back and say what they would have done differently, it was that they weren't acting in integrity and integrity, as you've mentioned, is not when it's the easy times, it's where it's the hard decisions that have to be made. Um, and I, I like what you described there as well, which I think is so true about growth that um, with growth comes the messiness of growth, right? So you're in it and yes. then you're thinking, um, I know I said I want to challenge a growth. I want to just get off of this for a little bit. And because when you're in the messiness, it's, it's hard, right? It's, it's not easy. It's, but then you get to the other side and you wouldn't be who you were today if you hadn't have gone through that and evolved and, and learned through so much through that situation. And you can't, you can't, um, sometimes when you're in those situations, you have to put your organization and your people first. Yes. You personally might want to say or do something entirely differently, but you can't. You have to always have that eye on the ball of what's in the best interest of the people and the organization you're responsible for. So it's a different yeah. approach, right? It's, it's, yes. yeah, it's, 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 it's fascinating. It is, it is fascinating. Um, Jennifer, when you think about um, leadership and leadership development, and if you think about IWK Foundation, what kind of things do you do to help support your leaders and set them up for success? So we're, we're operating, I would say, differently than most nonprofits. We're kind of a pseudo social entrepreneur organization right now. Yeah. We've actually worked with an organization that we couldn't, they gave us a lot of this as their kind of corporate social responsibility to help us, um, but they're called Simplicity Designs. And so our whole organization right now, uh, we move in, in a, every, in, every individual has a 30, 60, 90 day plan. The entire organization pivots every 90 days. Wow. Every single day, our philanthropy team, our marketing team, and our operations team has daily huddles. They nine square all decisions. They track all activity. We look for waste and constraints. We, um, we have a process for, for ideas so that, you know, you just don't go half off with a crazy idea. Like there's an actual process. I'd be the worst one coming in with the new ideas. CEOs hate the hopper, you call it. Every week, our leadership team, which is a flattened out, much more broader leadership group, meets um, once a week for an hour. And it's a very strict agenda. Once a month for half a day, which is usually on the year strategy. And once every 90 days for two full days, we meet. And we have improvement projects, which we work on. And so we don't have a strategic plan. We have strategic management. We have a five-year kind of North Star we're working towards. Um, and then we pivot every 90 days. 
And so we found by doing that, you're taking a lot of the guesswork out, you're taking a lot of the personality or subjective, and it's much more objective, it's process driven, um, and it's really helped us navigate the whole organization. And then outside of that, then we look for ways in which to train staff um, uh, in different ways around leadership mostly. I'm all big on how do we rise everybody up to a different level. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's the kind of work we do. And uh, we do lunch and learns, we bring people in. We spend a lot of time in the business community understanding what's going on, the trends in the market, the community. Um, and we take from them. So we often bring in leaders just to listen to them, um, that kind of work, that's what we do. But ma the majority of what we do would be around what we call transformation, which yeah. is this whole process. We've been on this track for two years now. Yeah. We've seen a really big change. In our, yeah, our I was gonna say, what do you know? Cause it just sounds um, so intentional, so focused. Um, I, I love when I hear you saying weekly, monthly, um, every uh, 90 days and very focused agenda. Cause we know we've all been to meetings that don't have focused agendas. Like yeah. I can tell that this is very focused and structured on where you're going. And then you also, waste time. Yeah. You waste time when yes. you're focused. Yes. Yes. If you're not doing that. And then, um, I also hear with what you're saying, and we talked about this kind of towards the beginning, which is, you know, we want to help people understand that bigger vision and purpose and where we're going and it helps them to stay aligned. So, so are there some, um, anecdotal, uh, examples you might be able to share with now that you've been doing this for two years some of the changes you've noticed yeah like something really simple i'll give you a really simple one was when they went through a process so we actually said okay the gift processing so somebody makes a gift what the accuracy the turnaround time on the receiving the interaction with that donor like we actually broke that apart that was one of our improvement projects and just from people walking in the front door we realized that we had an office with supplies that's a little room off the main reception that we had locked and I had no idea why it was locked and nobody else knew why it was locked yeah. because we all trust each other here and so the person who was actually at the front desk receiving the people coming in with the donations was constantly being interrupted to go open the door for the supplies for the rest of the staff so we just moved it right we would never have found that if we weren't doing the processes, right? Yeah. Um, they're, they're looking at every, they track um, how many, um, so what's interrupting your day? So if you set out today, so in the daily huddle, the philanthropy team will say, my goal today is to touch or meet with X number of donors. And then that tomorrow, as part of the huddle, what got in the way? And if there's things within that that got in the way, like technology, mishaps, um, you know, something, they will actually take it apart and say if they're a new way or a different way to do that. Mm. Um, we've, we've brought in, you know, technology like Propossify, which is actually all the information, all the information that you would need to actually customize a proposal for a donor without having to go through meetings and go through people. So we were trying to bring it all the time to narrow that time frame, so that there's more face time with the donors, more interaction, more ways to build relationships. Um, so they're just small, small little examples, but that's just like, there's so many, I, you'd have to come here and see yeah. it for yourself, but there's a lot. 
Well, no, I hear that, right? You're, you're creating autonomy, getting rid of the busy work, creating efficiencies, and ultimately doing probably what feels most fulfilling, right? There's a reason why people like to work with the donors, right? That's yeah. what feels most fulfilling to them. It's also giving them an opportunity to use their skills and talents. Totally. And, and, and I think... And I think the two-day meeting every 90 days actually affords us the opportunity to really be strategic. Yeah. So at that point, we're focusing on strategy and, and are we pivoted in the right direction or what do we need to change? What needs, you know, and we're not going down rabbit holes on all these uh, ways in which we do it, which are all dealt with in the daily huddles rather than so our weekly meetings, which is a much better process. So, yeah, yeah, very different than what normally would happen. Yes, no, I, I, I love that. I think it's so good for all involved. And I, and anytime you're reviewing and saying what didn't work well, right now you have time to make changes and, and yeah. get feedback from everyone else. Um, I'm also curious when you think about, you know, one of my, my things that I'm very passionate about is, is humanizing the workplace. And I, I love what you were saying earlier too, right? Um, it's not like you're one person at home and another person here. We, we're whole people and, and we do spend eight to 10 hours at work. So we want to create, I say, you want, people want to feel belonging. They want to feel a sense of a community. What does that look like at IWK Foundation? What are some of those ways that you humanize the workplace? Well, I'll tell you where we are today. And interestingly, I'll tell you some thinking I'm putting into where I want to go. Um, because I do think the world's shifting and the, the new way of human resource management in the 21st century is changing. Currently, we're like a big family here. So I'm very, we're very supportive. We have all kinds of benefits and, and opportunities for staff to take time when they need it for their family time and, and uh, over and above that we're we're really um, we take it on a case-by-case -case basis here uh, one of the cool things we do is when donors come because we're not at the hospital so how do you stay close to your why so when a donor comes in half the time it's kids giving birthday money away like there's some great like I don't know about you but I never gave my birthday money away and I look at these kids and I'm so inspired it could be families, it could be adults, but they come in and they tell their story and they're giving over their donation. Any staff member who's free at that point comes to the front desk and we clap, we have streamers, we take pictures. If they're little kids, we have toys for little kids, you know, from the dollar shore that you can pick. Staff love that because they hear the stories, they connect into it. Uh, we do a lot of community stuff. Um, so that we, as much as possible, our staff are involved in our telethons and our radiothons they get out into the community that connects them to the why of why they're here um, we do lots of lunch and learns we've done all kinds of training um, safety training we you know harassment training conflict resolution so that they can empower them to to be more honest with each other um, but where i'm really sort of starting to want to go to is Within a nonprofit kind of budget and scope, I, we, we've done as far as we can really go, honestly. We really have social committees, we've all of that normal stuff. But it's, it's to say, you know, you see these workplaces, they say, well, you can bring your dog to work and all that. I don't, I actually think that's just window dressing because I think it's deeper than that. And it's this whole notion of the privilege of having someone for eight hours. No, you're not, you're not rent, you're renting their time in some ways. And time is the only thing we really all have as human beings. So how do you move from a HR sort of training, development, performance, all that stuff into a coaching mentality? Mm. You're actually helping those individuals one-on-one -on -one 
maybe get better balance in their personal life, maybe go to, you know, they may need some mental health support or whatever it is, that is only going to spill over into a better, more happier, self-contained person in the eight hours you do have the privilege of having them. And so we're looking at, can we experiment here? Can we actually try something new um, that's different than the way we normally do it? So we haven't got there yet, but as a leader, my head's already gone there. And I feel like we have to start, organizations have to start thinking about it differently. We are being, we're basically renting an individual and their talents for eight hours or whatever it is. It's not, oh, you're lucky to work for us and you're here. It's, it's kind of flipping it the other way. Yeah. Um, and it's looking at the bigger circle would be your whole life. And then the inner circles where you're at work and those bits in between, uh, how do we kind of bridge that where people then see an extension of their life is their work, not works here. And now I go home and do the soft stuff. Now I go home and have fun. Now I go home and be myself. It's not, how do those two intersect? And I think that's the new uh, platform for human resource management and whatever we end up calling it. And it's a much more coaching mentality mm-hmm. than I think administering mentality. So of course, as an executive and leadership coach, you know, I'm very excited by what I'm hearing because <laughs> I, I think that is, it really is so needed because when they do have that place to talk about some of those other things, I mean, you think about I can't tell how many times I've worked with leaders who are high performers, highly engaged, but they're burnt out because they're not doing things outside of work in terms of rituals, in terms of exercising, sleep, uh, eating healthy, all of those types of things. So if they start to have a more holistic approach and then it gets to be this, I, I love what you're describing there, right? Because it is this whole beautiful continuum. And so they feel good and they can enjoy when they're at home because they're taking care of themselves and then they come to work and they're enjoying. And sometimes it's just even around having boundaries because I can't tell you how many times I have clients who feel like they need to be on their phone 24 seven. It's not. um, So I really love your approach because, and just even helping them to understand what that looks like to show up coach. Like I try to help so many leaders do that because um, so often they're not asking some of those questions and they can be powerful to create some, some dialogue and connection with that person and give them the space to be honest around some of those things they might be experiencing. And how great does that feel when they know a workplace, the way you described it, it is, it's not just, you know, you are creating a place where these people are coming and giving so much of them. They, they deserve to be treated. So I I love what you're saying there, Jennifer. I think it's counterculture to how we went to school and how our lives up to now has been set up. One of the biggest lessons and tips I have for any leader, and I learned it through my husband, who's an executive coach, so she's in your world, but it's, it's actually true. If you think about a marathon runner, the recovery time is actually more important than the actual race. They can't run the race if they haven't had the recovery from the training. Yeah. LeBron James apparently speaks, sleeps 12 hours a night or something, like he recovers, right? So we, I actually schedule every week time for reflection, I call it. Now, in some weeks, it could be a full day. In some weeks, it's half a day. Yeah. And I encourage my senior leaders to do it here, even if it's two hours a week. In that time when I'm off, I might be sitting staring out the window. I might actually be reading. I might be on my computer. It depends on what, what's given in a week. I problem solve. 
I'm clearer, I'm more focused, I come back into work, and I know this is probably not news to you, and I'm way more productive. Yeah. We somehow have gotten into the trap of assuming busyness and time equals success. And in fact, it's the opposite. And that then would, if leaders go there, then you will see organizations go to that utopia place that I'm trying to describe that I want to get to where the whole person is part of, of um, the, the equation and that we see them as their talents. We've rented their talents. They've come in. We're lucky to have them. Now, how do we work together to make that work? Yes. Yes. Well, and it's, it's so it's so um, why, as you're saying too, why it feels so counterintuitive is because we have this whole culture around um, the glorification of busy and doing, doing, doing. And, and so it feels like, well, if I'm not doing things, I'm not achieving things. But when you actually slow down and create the space, and, and I also encourage clients to create those white blocks in their calendar for the white space. And sometimes the white space might just be going outside and walking for an hour yep. to clear and, and do the, whatever that may be. It's not even meditation. It's just having that clear space um, that it's not. Um, and, and, and I also think this relates so well to the um, work from home philosophy, yep. because we can also have this mentality that productivity needs to be a, a seat on the bum, a bum on a seat for eight yeah. hours. Well, some people, if you get them in their flow and figure out what their work hours look like and their flow is for those four or five hours, they could actually create more in those five hours in that flow than they could in the eight hours, right? So it's, I think it's, um, it's, it's taking a step back and asking where do these beliefs come from and actually questioning whether that's actually true. And so often people will actually realize that when you are having that time to recharge, you are so much more effective, so much well, you're more effective. Also trusting each other, right? If you're trusting each other, then it's about the outcome. How you get to the outcome depends really on your style. Yes. I know my style is I'm very, if I'm always in the same routine, I'll go crazy. Like, cause right. I like a lot of up and down and some days I like to work from home and then some days I want the interaction. Yeah. So I mix it up every week. No one week is the same for me. Really. It's not, you couldn't measure me on one week to the next. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of our staff will take stuff and go home and write. Like some people, they really want the quiet time to write if they've got to write something. Other people, it's the plan part that they, they need time. And so it's been trusting and flexible enough to, to go with people's style. So you're back to the same kind of conversation we're having, which is treating the individual um, and saying, here's what's expected, here's what we need, the outcome, how you get there, unless it's a position where you have to be here, uh, and there are some positions where you have to physically be in a space, then how do you make that even more um, inviting and connected and personal in some way? Um, and so uh, the next year for me is going to be a bit of focus on this area because the talent pool and the labor market is short in this country. We don't have enough people. Yeah. Um, and so it's only going to get worse before it gets better. And so you want to be in an organization where people want to be there because they see it as an extension of themselves, not just yeah. what you're producing. Yes. Yes. People want meaningful work. That's what they're looking for. Um, so I know Jennifer, we could talk all day. <laughs> um, we've got a lot to talk about here. Um, but as we start to wrap up today's episode, um, I always like to give the guests an opportunity to just leave any final thoughts you'd like to leave with the audience. 
I think in the 21st century as leaders, we were great at putting tools in the toolbox. You get your MBA or your ICD or whatever it is, or your, your financial designation or your law degree or whatever you get, which is your kind of tools, I call it. But what we're not doing is teaching and spending the time on the inner work and leaders are craving it. And I think if we can get to a space where coaches and working on that inner stuff and inner values is as normal as having someone in an accounts department, um, we will be a lot further ahead. <coughs> Excuse me. I agree completely. And it's why I'm so passionate about the work I do. I can't tell you how many leaders who have said to me, where have you been all my life? I wish I came and saw you 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, because you go and you think, okay, now I've got X designation and X title. But that's nothing compared to what you're going. The stuff you're going to deal with, the higher up you go in an organization, you can't be prepared for it because it's not being taught anywhere. It's really not. And, and I've been in a lot, lot of different courses and I've talked to a lot of leaders and it's, it's not a soft skill, it's actually quite a critical skill. So the EQ side of your life is becoming more and more important as technology and other things change the trajectory of where people are. And people are looking at time. So you're looking at young lawyers, I've got my own daughter included, and she, they're not looking at, they're not, they're not gonna flog their guts out for 100 hours a week. Uh, to prove that they're whatever they're not no they need they want to practice law they love the law but they also want a life yes they want that balance yes um and i do believe as that kind of the, the the community goes there women are more predisposed in leadership roles to actually be able to navigate this new world order and to bring along with them you know, males who want to kind of be aspired to want to do this kind of work with people. But we've got to see the whole person now, not just worker A in X, Y, and Z leadership yeah. role or whatever. It's, it's gone beyond that. Um, and so I do think we're in an exciting time, but a very turbulent time. Yes, I agree. Thank you so much for being a guest today, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I love talking about this stuff. It's so important. Because no matter where you find yourself, especially in a leadership role at any level of any organization, the impact you can have on people, you don't even really know. Like there are times when I'm quiet with myself and I think, oh my God, did I have an impact by just what I said or how I react to something or like it, it is a privileged space. It really is. And it needs to be seen that way. And work needs to almost be seen as part of a pilgrimage in life. It's not just producing widgets anymore. So Absolutely. I love the fact that you're doing this and bringing all of this, these kinds of conversations to light. It's very important work. Thank you. I agree completely. Bye, Jennifer. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.